Welcome to twoquestions.tv. My guest today is Nigel Barlow, and we're talking about rocking your presentation. Twoquestions.tv. Brief questions, deep knowledge for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business owners. Welcome to twoquestions.tv. I'm Susan Barancini Mo. Joining me today is Nigel Barlow, who has made a living for many years speaking and consulting with the world's most famous companies. He's also the author of this book, Rock Your Presentation, A New Guide to Speaking with Passion. Hi, Nigel. Welcome to the show. Hello. Lovely to see you. Well, I've really been looking forward to talking to you because reading your book felt like reading the words of a kindred spirit. <laughs> good, good. And it's, it's also the place where I first heard the word screenager. What an amazing word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're all screenagers. I think yeah. the generation gap these days is not a moral or an ethical one like it was in the 60s and 70s. It's how many screens can you have open at any right? and still function. I know, I know. It is tricky. Well, the book, though, focuses on speaking. And it's. I, I was so happy. I'm so happy. This I've already re recommended this book to so many people. <laughs> um, you talk a lot about PowerPoint in the book. And, and a friend of mine who is a very well-known speaker says, if you can't do your presentation without PowerPoint, you shouldn't be on stage. And I like PowerPoint, but it's my images that give me memory cues. Yeah. And it's not something I never read from PowerPoint, but we do see so many speakers who get up on stage and they have these very text heavy slides and they read from them. And I think in corporate America, sometimes they almost expect that. And yeah. I'm not sure why. And I'm wondering if you could sort of elaborate a little bit on for, for our readers who don't yet have your, or are waiting for their copy of your book to arrive. What, yeah. What's the deal with, with PowerPoint and what are the best practices for PowerPoint? Well, let's take a little bit of history here. When PowerPoint first came out, Gosh, it was exciting. It wasn't yes. like overhead projector or 35 mil slides. You could take images from anywhere, beam them up when it worked. In the early days, it didn't work. Yeah. And then it didn't work. And then people became over-reliant on it. So right. people talked about death by PowerPoint, which is just, as you said, overloaded, heavy images, yeah. too much text. And so it was a, it was a switch. I, I speak at many conferences around the world, mainly on innovation and leadership. And I found the people would say, we don't want any PowerPoint. So what you'd have would be pastoral images of mountains, sunset right. floating across the screen, which almost made me nostalgic for bullet points. <laughs> now, what I'm saying here is it doesn't have to be death by PowerPoint. Right. It could be life by PowerPoint. And when I'm coaching speakers on this, um, I take off my shirt. No, don't worry. I have a t-shirt underneath. <laughs> what kind of coaching is this? <laughs> the whole of my presentation—it's cerebral striptease, if you like. Okay. The whole of my presentation about visuals and PowerPoint, and the front of it, it says, "I am not my slides." This is <laughs> so, and I—it I, sounds a bit childish, but I've sometimes had even senior executives recite this three times. Yes not my slides, because people like Linus with his blanket in the cartoon, mm -hmm. they become attached to their slides. And they, oh, they've, yeah. got to have this. they've got to have this one. And so that's the first step. I'm not my slides. On the back, when I turn around, it says 80% out, because I think that's <laughs> basic 
guideline is once you've got your presentation, take about 80% of the slides out and right. you've probably got about enough. I mean, I, I, I coach speakers who have 47 slides for a 10 minute spot, you, you know. <laughs> audience is going to lose the will to live yeah and then on one arm it says bullet points nine danka because of course that's the sort of information that should be read not put on a visual and the other arm says your visuals should be visual which sounds like yeah. sort of very much basics but as you said images are what stay in the mind what do you remember names or faces Faces always. Always, yeah. it's a, always it's a face, rarely a name. And that's an analogy you can use in speaking. There, there are a number yeah. of other guidelines. Uh, but I think PowerPoint is great if it's life by PowerPoint. If it's visual, yeah. striking, it's got a punchline. And people have all kinds of rules about this in traditional presentation skills, which I hate because I wrote most of this book sitting in the audience in conferences with so-called professional speakers they just awesome. weren't maybe i'm the delegate from hell but they just weren't <laughs> holding my attention yeah and i think that one of the things you're taught in traditional presentation skills which i call mainstream pop rather than really rocking it up is never read your own slides <laughs> i find what's fantastic is to sometimes break what the actors call the fourth wall. You yes. can think the wall behind you, the, you know that, the wall's on either side. And that invisible force field between you and the audience is the fourth wall. So if one of my visuals has a punchline, an optical illusion, I would sometimes come into the audience and experience it with them. Of course, I what love that. saying is you don't bury your head in your own slides you focus with eye contact on the audience, not look deeply in your notes and lose them. Right, right. But at the same time, most of those rules are there to be broken. Yeah, you know, speaking of that, there are rules. Um, and and some of those rules are valid, some are not. I, I actually have heard some millennial speakers say that they don't really have to do much to improve their speaking style because they wanna leave in some of the, you know, the, the, the ums and the ah, because they want to be relevant. They want their audience to understand and they want their audience to feel connected to them. I'm like, oh, no, no, wait, you can, they can feel connected to you in other ways. <laughs> I think you're right. But, but I think you make a good point here about, I, I talk in the book about use your imperfections. Mm -hmm. In other words, taking the music metaphor, which I yeah. use a lot, the idea is some of the best voices are the ones that are not perfect. Yeah. There are some singers who can do six, seven octaves or whatever, and yet somehow it isn't human. Human beings are imperfect, asymmetrical. We're eyed or eared or handed. And what they're talking about, I guess, at the highest level, is I want to leave in that humanity mm -hmm. and it not be a slick presentation. But I encourage people to do the most horrible thing in the world, which is actually over here and look at themselves presenting. <laughs> um, you know, I, I mean, it's horrible, but the fascination just about outweighs the horror, if you get it right. Uh, yeah. A tick, like an um, an er, uh, or that, that just gets in the way, or you're always putting your hands in your pockets and shuffling coins around. 
yes, you can get rid of those. But we can take their idea a bit further. And I talk about the idea of, in music, going unplugged. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the best musicians and their best performances are when they actually pull out the leads and they play it acoustic and they play it intimately in the yeah. small audience. And the analogy for speaking is sometimes switch off the PowerPoint, walk into yeah. the audience, sit down, make it actually a conversation with all the imperfections and humanity that reaches out to people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really, really valuable. I, I really enjoyed the music metaphor. As a musician myself, I enjoyed the music right. metaphor very much. Um, right. What do you think are the cardinal sins of speaking and how do we steer away from those? Well, I think being boring is, is, is the, <laughs> it's the one, the first one. What? Boring? No, no. You know, we're endlessly fascinating to ourselves. But I think that, so that has to be the first sin. The first sin, the second sin, I guess, is trying to give people too much. Look, mm -hmm. we're all slightly attention deficit in this digital world. You know, how many times do people check their cell phones a day? For millennials, you mentioned, it's over 2,000 times. It's shocking. And therefore, you know, how do we stay in the room? So I think the first sin is not to really get the audience's attention. Look, mm -hmm. the first thing that the frontal cortex of the brain thinks when it's about to hear a new piece of information is this, do I care? And so, you know, or, or should I do some text? And I think this is fair enough. This is, if you like, an appropriate response to, to, to dull presentation. It doesn't mean it has to be hyperactive, but it does mean that it needs to draw us in. So making people care in the early part with a striking story, uh, with a metaphor, with a provocative question. Look, the best talk I ever saw on health and safety, the guy started by saying, let me tell you why health and safety is really, really boring. <laughs> immediately had people's attention because these were the top people in the field. But of course, what he was going on to say is that is the problem. Because yeah. if it's boring until there's a terrible accident, we don't consider it. Mm -hmm. So this is analogous to the opening bars in a song. Think of a three-minute song that you heard years ago, 20 years later. You hear two bars and the whole thing comes back to you. So yes. my thing is, if, if, only, if only a presentation, talk, lecture, business pitch could be as riveting, memorable, and emotional as a three-minute song. So when you pull apart the ingredients that go into that song craft, you can find out there's, this, is, this is more than an analogy. Strong opening bars, a clear chorus, because that's all you remember. Uh, a great climax, because people remember first things, last thing. You can build that without people even knowing it into the wow. structure of a talk, and they'll get and retain your message. <laughs> that is the thing that I found so useful in the book was um, I am someone who, as a as a, I'm a teacher, I like to teach. Okay. And so when I, when I train, yes. I do tend to put a little too much in. And so I found your book so helpful in terms of helping me to pare down a little bit yes. and reminding me of that. 
do it as a tweet. That was one of the practical things. Was, that was so helpful. If you can't compress your talk into a tweet, which now I think has expanded since I wrote the book. And it has. Running 80 characters or whatever. Then that is a fantastically good discipline because you, your chorus in the talk is probably what's in that tweet. The central message, albeit said differently in the talk, not yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but you keep coming back to that because actually that's all they remember. Yeah. And when I'm presenting this, either with live musicians or pre-recorded music, I find that we can make the point that people only remember the chorus of most songs, not the other words. So how do you really beef that up, make that have more impact? Exactly. Well, and I have to say, you know, it was funny. I, I saw the cover. I was like, okay, you know, I get the metaphor and all of that metaphor. But, but until I actually opened it, and started reading, I didn't realize you were actually going to use that metaphor throughout. And yes, as I, as I, yeah. it's, and it's fantastic. And I, I remember thinking, oh, okay, we're, we're going really going, like we're doubling down on this. This is really going to be the whole book. And, and it was such a, an apt metaphor though. It's perfect. And right. so absolutely a, a, an indispensable resource for speakers. No question about it. Great book. That's, very, that's lovely to hear you say that. And, and Cardin, by the way, you don't need to know about music to get the ideas out. No. Some people will sort of skip those bits and get to the practical stuff. Um, and one more cardinal sin, if I can mention. Sure. These days, people hate being taught stuff, but they love learning. In other words, interaction is increasingly important. And yet, what's the old way of getting interaction and talk? Speaker stands there and says, right, any questions? <laughs> no, no, none. <laughs> I said, a, it's the wrong question because it's a close ended question. Any question, should be what questions? But B, you really need to get that interaction going. So I cover tips, which I've you know, used, which is just get people to talk to their neighbor for three minutes mm -hmm. about what questions they have. Suddenly, you have lots of questions, more mm -hmm. than handle. And we look a little bit at the stagecraft of great performers. Now, I'm not saying you need to be um, like Elvis and completely, you know, shake from the waist downwards or whatever. <laughs> but definitely, I would say, more like Elvis than someone frozen behind a podium. Yeah. Because your body is part. And great performers know this. Uh, either they do it, and they all do it in their own way. Some yeah. great singers have really awkward body movements, but they're their own and they're intense. So there's a cliche, be yourself. All right, that's yes. easy said. But I, I, I celebrate that because some people are shyer and they're not gonna be Elvis and dance across the stage. Sure. They're great in a conversation. So I encourage them to take a bar stool, sit close to the audience and run it as a conversation. You've got to work with what you've got. That's so great. And I think that's useful, especially for people who consider themselves strong introverts yes. and think they have to be extroverts to be speakers. Yeah. But in fact, yeah. some of the greatest speakers I know, they're introverts because they're not having that one-on-one -on -one interaction, but they're engaged with the audience enough that they're still having their introvert moment. But it's, it's a strange thing that you can be such an introvert and still be a great speaker. Absolutely, and many are, and people, you know, 
will listen in on there's nothing worse than there's a lot of nonsense talked about body language you mm. know i've seen the politicians who are trained to move their hands <laughs> and told you do this and it sounds strong and you know you think just sit there put your hands in your pockets do something yeah. any yeah. of it. now this might sound a little bit sort of corny italy is my favorite country to be in in europe for many <laughs> i yes a lot of people i encourage them just to be a bit more Italian. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and just, and that sounds silly, but actually it means that people make the right hand gestures instead of saying, we're going to make some really big changes here. You know, <laughs> and you know what? It might feel awkward to the individual, but it looks expressive and appropriate yes. to the audience. Yeah, my husband is half Italian and he's always oh, with, right. the, with oh. the expressions. And <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's, That's a great be, point. It's got to be your. <laughs> and one of the best presentations I brought in the speaker to one of my clients, and he was very shy, as you said, an introvert. Mm -hmm. And he sat there on a chair with his hands crossed, his legs crossed, hands in his pockets, polished his spectacles quite a lot. But he wowed the audience mm -hmm. with passion, quiet passion. Yes. Subject. This is really, again, what I call going unplugged you know, um, really reaching, tugging some heartstrings. Indeed. I think the best speaker I ever heard Ooh. was was a very soft-spoken, quiet yeah. man. Yeah. And we had maybe a hundred people in the room yeah. listening to him. And he spoke so quietly yeah. that no one wanted to move. We were all afraid to move because we were afraid we wouldn't hear what he, and he was what he was speaking about was really an important topic and he mm -hmm. was a beautiful writer and yeah. was speaking about, you know, it, at the time he was speaking about his apartheid in South Africa. Wow. And he had this very quiet way and it, you could have heard a pin drop in that room because no one wanted to move. And That's it was electric, absolutely electric. And think of that in a song. The the loud passage music is the alternation of loud soft the different intervals between notes and to use you you don't need to know anything much about music to use some of that pacing right monotonous mon <laughs> and the whole language of music is relevant to what we say we're speaking you get yeah. on the right wavelength you're in tune with the group you've got the right rhythm and it's not accidental that language has those kind of musical counterparts exactly oh my gosh i feel like we could talk about this for yes, days yes. it's so interesting but thank yes. you for being on the show today will you join me in the after show i certainly will thank you very much that's awesome. great Lovely wonderful all right viewers here is the book we're going to have links in the show notes for today so that you can get your copy and you can join us on the after show if you go to twoquestions.tv. That's our URL. So thanks for watching. We'll see you in the after show and we'll see you next time. This has been twoquestions.tv. To subscribe to our YouTube channel, learn more about the show, the guests, and our host, Susan Barancini Mo, visit us at www.twoquestions.tv.